Welcome to our new show, the Amplified Marketing Podcast, where we get into the challenges that content marketers face and look to the brands who are already knocking down obstacles and raising the quality of their content with a little something called Amplified Marketing, of course. It's what we've practiced and preached here at Casted from the very beginning, how to create the most meaningful content and then get the most traction from that content by ringing it out across channels. These interviews for our first season were recorded as part of a very special event, very, very, very special to me, that officially kicked off this new approach to content marketing. And we dive into the components of Amplified Marketing, the strategies that work best, and reveal just how much of an impact this new approach can have on your business. But we also explore the ways that Amplified Marketing makes life easier and more efficient and more enjoyable for content marketers out there who are struggling to be creative and relevant and cut through the noise. This is where the change begins. I'm Lindsay Chepkema, CEO and co-founder of Casted, the first and the only amplified marketing platform made specifically for B2B marketers. And this is our new podcast. On this show, we've talked a lot about content marketing in industries where we are familiar, like SaaS and, and technology, but Amplified Marketing is definitely industry agnostic. It works everywhere and anywhere that thought leadership and expert conversations fuel your marketing and deliver relevant information to discerning audiences. There are a lot of niches out there, hungry for a brand to simply pay attention to what interests them. And as I've mentioned previously on this show, Riches abound in niches, or riches abound in niches, however you want to pronounce it. But what if these niche audiences are hard to reach? And they often are, right? What if they've traditionally relied on strictly print materials, like catalogs? Yeah, like the ones that you get in your mail. What role does amplified marketing play in shifting from older models that don't quite perform as well as they once did to really, really make the most of all the digital channels available for today's content creators, like you and me. My guests today are both at the helm of a pretty significant content marketing shift at two companies that I'm pretty sure you've heard of before. They've both been around for more than a century. The companies, not my guests. Stephen Hutton, VP and Social Discipline Leader at IBM, and Haley Wheeler, Services Marketing and Communications Consultant with Caterpillar Oil and Gas and Marine, are branching out into video and podcasting, as well as promoting their content in a bunch of formats and channels. And we're gonna talk today about how they find expert voices to engage different audiences and different interests and preferences and how both brands, these massive, massive brands are building awareness and building community in a way like they never have before, which is still a tough challenge, even for companies that have been around for a very long time and are as massive as IBM and Caterpillar. Because you know what, no matter who you are, you have to ensure that your brand is not only recognizable, but also remains top of mind. Steven and Haley are going to share with us how Amplified Marketing reinforces a sharp promotional strategy at IBM and how it helps Caterpillar's small team meet a vast demand for very different kinds of content. Perhaps the greatest shift here is to move away from product-led content into audience-led. A huge part of Amplified Marketing and both Steven and Haley believe that B2B needs to become a lot more B2H business to human, or you might even say human to human, right? And speak to the humans out there. 
well, you know, like a human, like we all do every day. So let's hear what they had to share during a live panel session from our Amplify event. So Haley and Steven, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. All right, so if you would, um, let's do just quick intros. Haley, let's start with you. Um, tell everybody who you are and sure. so grateful that you're here. Awesome. So thank you, Lindsay. Um, like Lindsay said, my name is Haley Wheeler and I am a marketing communications consultant at here at Caterpillar. And I focus on our oil and gas and marine engine industry. So if you could boil down my job into a few key components, I would consider myself a content marketer that runs all of our oil and gas and marine podcasts, webinars, and about half of our marketing campaigns each year. All right. Thanks. How about you, Stephen? Uh, yeah, Stephen Hunton. I'm vice president of uh, social strategy and content experiences at IBM. And so that's effectively all things social media for us globally across the traditional platforms we would you know, expect like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, but also as we move into like emerging channels like Reddit, Stack, Over Stack Overflow, TikTok. Um, but then, you know, all things that are sort of owned from a content perspective, whether that's a blog or podcast, like my, my team is sort of responsible for organizing that strategy, governing the work, partnering across all of marketing to bring IBM's best stories, case studies, product, this and that to life in the ways that hopefully our audiences appreciate. Love it. It's awesome. So, all right, we're all B2B marketers here, um, but very different industries. I don't know if it gets a whole lot more different than marine oil and gas, Caterpillar and IBM, right? So um, let's talk a little bit about how you see content marketing playing a role um, as we know it in, in your world. So um, just left off with you, Stephen, let's start with you again. What's really broadly speaking, I know I ask you to like put an elephant in, in a box here, but like how, how, does, how does content marketing play a role at IBM? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when we talk about how we want to build connections with our audiences, we talk about it kind of in two lanes. One is content and the other is conversation. It's like both of those things are really, really important. So content is for us the way that we tell stories, the way that we illustrate products, the way that we kind of bring to life IBM's thought leadership or points of view. That could be done through a variety of formats, right? Like that could be done through social content, video content, podcasts. Um, and so for, for me, it's like my the opportunity I think we have is how do you orchestrate that and integrate it across channels so that it's not happening in silos. You know, I work for a very large organization with lots of different businesses. Um, and, and so for us, it's really about how do we ensure that anything we create can be threaded across channels in the right way so that we're essentially amplifying those pieces of content in the best way possible in, in ways that actually fit the platforms we're putting them onto. Okay. Fair enough. Sounds relatable. Okay. How about you, Haley? How, how does content marketing play a role at a place like Caterpillar? Right. So as mentioned, um, I'm particularly focused in our oil and gas and marine engines segment. And so content marketing has never been very glamorous in this industry. It's often very technical and matter of fact, because that's just how our audience has traditionally been. And that's how we've traditionally done things in the past. However, we're really trying to move away from that more like, I guess, traditional form of content that we've been pushing out because one of our main goals actually, especially this year and in following years as well, is going to be to reach a younger generation who in 10 or so years are going to be the people making decisions in companies about whether or not to buy cat products. And so because of that, we've really moved away from, you know, sending out just a bunch of 
email blasts and posting kind of the same stale content on social media to now really getting involved in content that's really going to be focused on brand building. So we're on YouTube now, we have podcasts, we post more playful things on social media. You know, eventually I would say we see Caterpillar really being focused on brand building and community building rather than just trying to make a sale. So in short, you know, we're a brand that's been around for a century, but we really want to utilize our content in a way that keeps us relevant to the next generation and continues to build um, that community and build that brand for people, you know, just now learning about Caterpillar. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, too, because even though IBM and Caterpillar are very different, I, you both have been around for a very, very long time. I mean, more, more than a century each. And it's so it's how has content marketing evolved, um, at least uh, through the lens that you can see it in your roles and in just the history that you know about and, and kind of where you are now. How has that evolved uh, at your respective companies? What's, what's that look like even in, in your tenure? So I can, I, I can start off. So I've only been at the company for, if you count the internship, about a year and a half. Um, so from what I have seen, and there's really been a shift already in just my, you know, year and a half of being here. And kind of like I mentioned previously, you know, we were originally doing a lot of print material. You know, that was the only way to get um, our content out to audiences, you know, we would we we have caterpillar dealers so those print materials would get sent to the dealer and that was really the only way for people to learn about our products and services that we have but especially now with social media you know, or the rise of social media in the past you know 10 years we're really able to start focusing on things that we weren't doing previously like podcast webinars those are some things that we just started within this one year um, of actually me being here. So um, it's shifted a lot. We're doing a lot more digital things, especially now with the um, pandemic, a lot of things cannot be face-to-face -face, and we traditionally did a lot of things face-to-face. -face, so it's nice that we're still able to have that human interaction with podcasts and webinars, um, but they're a lot more flexible and a lot more accessible um, than they were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Steven? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll speak to it from a social media perspective, because that's kind of where my focus has been for the majority of my time at IBM. And I think, you know, the observation I have, having been here for, for four and a half years, is that we're trying to make a transition from like what I call a pure volume play in terms of the, the amount of messaging that we put out into the world, the number of channels that we manage um, to something that's much more kind of audience led and tailored for that. And so, you know, for example, so IBM used to have 1,800 social media channels globally being managed by hundreds of people all over the world, pushing out 50 to 75,000 organic social media assets a year, let alone all the paid assets that are going to the world. And so there's a massive echo chamber of content going out. And when you start to look at it and you say, well, who are those audiences? You know, like, where are they? You see an incredible amount of overlap. And so what we've started to do is kind of move towards a model that's much more centralized and consolidated around like, how do we make sure that we're being a little bit more respectful of our audience's feeds mm -hmm. and spending more time trying to create content that we believe will work on those platforms? Like what is designed for Twitter? What is designed for Instagram? What is designed for LinkedIn? Because all of those things have different purposes. Our, my expectations of what I want to see on Twitter is very different than what I want to see on Instagram. And so... I think we're doing a really good job right now trying to move towards a model that's just intentional about the types of content. I think in the past, 
because of that volume play, there's a lot of like sea of sameness. You know, you would see a campaign from IBM where the asset on social maybe didn't look that different from the, the asset that was designed for online advertising or the print piece or whatever. And so things are looking a little bit more customized. It's all got to hang together because we have a brand to represent. But finding ways to really tailor it for the platform has been something we've been very focused on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like not that long ago, volume was the goal, right? It was, it was okay, how do we make more? How do we cover all these channels? How do, we, how do we address all these audiences? How do we reach everyone everywhere all the time in every situation possible? And now we have just mass quantities of, of content that, that have already been created that we're not using and largely not using. And also um, lots of content that we're in this um, habit, this pattern of creating more, 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 more. And we are absolutely seeing the shift to um, more intentional, which I, you know, I love and I love hearing you talk about too. So on that note, what, what do you see as, as right now at this moment? I'm not necessarily talking about a channel, but like what about content and content marketing do you see as, as most effective? Like what's working? So for, for me, I, I think, so we've been testing some things out in terms of like the types of content that we put into, into the world. Um, and it's different across different business units, right? Like the, the audience for our security products is different than the audience for our data and AI products is different than hybrid cloud and systems. And so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but what we found that the content that typically resonates falls within one of three bu buckets. It's content that's either demonstrating something, it's educating on something, or it's fascinating on something. So if we talk about fascination, that could be behind the scenes of IBM research in our, uh, noise-free labs in Zurich, right? Like there's some really fascinating things we can talk about with that or through quantum. When we talk about educating, it can be like looking at search volume on YouTube. Like what are people searching for that's related to I IBM? Well, Kubernetes is a topic that developers are really trying to understand. So we can create educational content and do explainers. If we're talking about just demonstration, it's like what's an interesting or compelling way to demonstrate what one of our, uh, you know, data platforms like Cognos can do. And so we might look at social listening and find that people are talking about forest fires or the NBA or whatever. And then we can go get that data set, run it through Cognos and create data visualizations of something that's topically relevant and interesting on Reddit, but we put it out on Instagram. So those are kind of three sort of areas that we've been able to kind of shift our teams to think about. And so it's also helpful because if it, if the idea or the request for content doesn't fit one of those three things, we can kind of push back in a very loving way and say that that's not something that our audiences typically want to see organically. Let's move that to something that would be more driven through paid because we can, you know, we can make sure that things are seen and optimized for clicks and whatnot. Okay. So demonstrating, educating, fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. How about you, Haley? What's, what's, what do you see that's working? Yeah. So Stephen, I like how you said demonstrating because that is something that is very effective on our end as well. So if we have, you know, videos, for example, video content does very well on our social media channels. And if people are showing, you know, how an engine works or maybe like demonstrating how, you know, the oil and gas training works, things like that, that gets a lot of engagement on our end. Um, so I think anything audio and video content is always going 
going to be some of the most effective content marketing that we have, especially things that are demonstrating things. People also really like seeing other people in videos. So like, for example, um, we do a lot of customer testimonials saying, you know, hey, this is what Caterpillar helped me with, or this is my experience working with Caterpillar. This is my experience um, running Caterpillar engines. People um, are, are our audience on social media really enjoys seeing that as well. So really, I would say what it boils down to, to is that the most effective part of our content marketing is any content that is relevant in some way, whether it's demonstrating something or it's you know familiar to our audience, like a lot of our audience, audience is customers. And so they like seeing how other customers have interacted with Caterpillar. So, you know, content that's going to be engaging for our audience, that's fun, and that it's, I think at the end of the day, we want our content to be something that our audience actually wants to take time out of their day to pay attention to. Yeah, it's human. It's that human connection that mm -hmm. we talk about all the time. It's they, they want to see themselves in the conversation and they want to feel like even a, a brand as, as huge as Caterpillar or IBM, they want to see themselves in the situation and in the context. So yeah, I think that that note on human is so important. I've uh, really brilliant woman that works for me and kind of leads all of our thought leadership experiences, which is the podcasts and the blogs. And her whole thing with her team right now is like trying to move us from this mindset of B2B marketers to B2H because she wants like, it's we're talking to humans for crying out loud. So like, how do we make sure that the storytelling or the way it's like just more relatable than we've you know been in the past? Yeah. And truly it's, it's human to human, you know, I mean, yeah. because the, the, there are humans and literally we're talking about them. We are them right now that are creating all this content that are saying, how do I create something that will connect with another person on the other side? Even if it's Caterpillar connecting with IBM or vice versa, it's, it's, it's people connecting with other people. And the more, the more we all feel that and experience that, especially with the, the rising tide of the content that we're seeing come out I and mean, we're all competing against either nothing like literally people can do nothing instead of consumer content or, you know, go turn on Disney plus or, or Netflix or any other streaming service at this point. And, you know, we've got to find a way we might not be better, you know, we might not be able to match the quality, but we can be that connective tissue between our, our brands and our audiences. So, yeah, that's a really good point. We, we've been working with Twitter for a while to like understand some of the data around our audiences. And one of the things that, they helped us look at was like, where is the, where are the most overlapping audiences related to some of our accounts? So if we look at like IBM data and AI, for example, they, they gave us a list of the top 20 most overlapping follows. So if you're following data and AI and you also follow XYZ, which were the top 20. And so a number of them are other IBM brands, which is kind of an issue because it means that we're sort of overlapping in terms of that audience, like 60% of people following that channel also follow the Watson channel. But the really interesting thing was there was not a single direct competitor to our data business in that top 20 list. That top 20 list was riddled with people like Elon Musk and Barack Obama and like media outlets like Wired and Bloomberg. And, and so it's like when we start to talk about the, our opportunity on organic is like, well, your competition is that. The algorithm is trying to decide whether it wants to serve me the post from Barack Obama or the, the, the branded handle. So who, who's driving the most engagement? So when we think about who our competitors really are on social media, it's about understanding like they're the competition. And so we have to find ways to cut through in a much more relevant way than just like typical, you know, good old B2B style, style marketing. 
Yeah. So that's a great lead into, we've, we've talked about context, we've talked about what content marketing is to both of you and your industries and your companies, these behemoths that you're with right now. Um, but we started to get into some of the challenges. And, you know, I, I was not silent just now earlier in the conversation or earlier in the event about the challenges that we see with, with content marketing today. Um, what, what do you see in, specifically in, in your world, in your industries um, as problems with the, the status quo of content marketing as we know it? So the particular industry that I'm in comes with a slew of challenges. So oil and gas and marine engines are by nature not some extremely popular thing that has like this very large following. It's pretty, it's honestly pretty niche. Um, so it's hard to reach people first and foremost. So we've got a tricky audience to work with as well, which includes people, people that are from all different audiences with different preferences. So like I said, we support oil and gas and marine, which means that we are trying to cater to three different oil and gas segments and nine different marine segments. All are extremely different. So for example, a gas compression customer on the oil and gas side is not going to care about the same things as a well service customer. And then the same thing goes for marine. So a customer customer with a, you know, 70 foot yacht is not going to care about the same thing that a tugboat operator would. So it gets very convoluted and very challenging. And it also doesn't help that our audience spans six different continents and many different languages. Um, so creating a really good content marketing strategy is also difficult because of our team size as well. That's another challenge. So we're a very small team. You know, there's really only about six of us um, that are trying to support two different industries and 12 segments. And it's really unrealistic for us to consistently produce a high quantity of highly effective content when we're all juggling multiple job responsibilities and multiple um, segments. So I'd say that those kind of are the two to three reasons of what is challenging um, for us the most. It's that tangled web that I was talking about. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, let's do all the things in all the ways and always can create net new content. And, and by the time you actually get to the point where you're um, creating something, you're, you're a mile away from, from where it all started. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we need that. <laughs> we need to scale it back. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you, Steven? I mean, I, I would echo the volume issue. I think that's a huge challenge um, just because it's such a large business and, you know, it, it always seems like a great idea to make a new thing. And it's it's fun to do new creative. But have we really leveraged the, the, the other stuff that we've made? We have so much content that we could be reusing. And in some cases, for me, it's not even about reusing. It's about the right promotional strategy of that content across channels in a way that drives you back to the original the asset, right? So we've done this a few times really well. But like often, I think the biggest challenge is like the amount of time to properly coordinate that promotional strategy. I think that's one of the other things I would say is a, a, a thing we're transforming into is kind of moving away from this mindset of like, we have to have a content engine because content engine to me signals production, 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 and be more of like creating the right assets in for content and then building a promotional engine around it that points you back to that hero piece of content. That's something that, that we're very, working very hard to implement. Um, and I think too, for us, it's like, it's it's confusing ecosystems. Um, if you just look at our podcast, if this group goes to search for IBM podcasts on Google, you get a lot of things. Like if there's tons of them out there. Not all of them are managed. Not all of them are very good. 
And so how are we creating the right ecosystem or, 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 or ways for our audiences to properly find us? That's a huge challenge. So it's like not only the content, but like what's the like distribution model and the way that we stand ourselves up. So I talked about 1800 channels four years ago. Now we're at 140. So massive transformation, but still 85% of all engagement and traffic comes from 10% of those accounts. It's like how much busy work is happening instead of saying, let's really coordinate, let's build the right promotional strategy for these like key messages, make amazing content, and then really invest in making sure that that stuff is seen. Um, and then it can sit out in the market along a, enough time to be remembered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so often, so often, and, and I, I've been there, my past life, I've, I've been there too, where you're, you're constantly creating that new for so many reasons, for you know, internal, internal, intrinsic uh, motivation reasons, and and the pressure from from those outside within your organization to create more, 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 and it's really unfortunate because when you create something great, it takes an investment of of time and energy and, and money. Um, it's real, and yet we put it out there and expect it to go take off, kind of and, and fly, kind of on its own, as opposed yep. to continuing to come back to it and pull it apart and use it in various ways. And like you said, promote it. Like, how do you how do you continue to drive people to it? And then once they're there, how do you drive them from that to something else? And I think as, as marketers, we have been raised um, over the last two decades to think that that's less important than constantly creating new. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm excited to see to see that change. So um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit around expectations because like on that note around constant net new con content constant net new content um what are the expectations that you found in your uh, whether it's in your companies or in your industry or just in in your role as a marketer what are the expectations within a brand around content what is it what have you found is it supposed to do how is it supposed to wave a magic wand um in your experience so we expect our content to generate leads and drive sales first and foremost. But like I mentioned previously, we're really going to start focusing on brand building and just brand recognition too. And like, yes, it might take years to see results from this rather than, you know, a few months. Um, but I think it's really going to ultimately increase our sales in the long run and our leads in the long run, especially for again, like I mentioned previously, the next generation of consumers who are ultimately going to be the ones making company decisions and buying our products and services in the next you know, 10 to 15 years. And if we can be at the forefront of their minds by continuing to build our brand recognition, that's really what we want. So all of our you know, sales guys and really everybody else other than the marketing team, they always are so focused on generating leads, driving sales, anything that can make them a profit. But I think we really need to focus on that brand building and community building as well, because I think that's going to be a bigger impact in the long run. Yeah, I think that that's really good. Um, for me, I think the expectation of the business historically has been conversion. So like how is content going to as quickly as possible lead to a conversion, whether that's getting them onto the web website and they engage and then we build a nurture stream and do, you know, do retargeting. Re um, but I think this, my expectation is that we're going to lean much, much harder towards um, consideration. So like, how are we building more credibility of IBM through content that's designed to do that? And I think that opens us up in terms of the way that we, you know, go back to this demonstrate, educate, fascinate model, but also think about thought leadership. 
um, you know, thought leadership as a way to kind of build that relationship with the audience and kind of share our point of view and, and look more credible so that when that buyer and our buying cycles are very, very long. So it's very difficult to think about how a tweet or a podcast or a video on YouTube is going to drive a conversion for hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales around a license or, you know, services contract. But we think about that audience gravitating towards a podcast that's delivered from some of our, you know, data science elite team talking about all the things you could know and learn about the data, data science industry. I think when you get into the consideration moment where you're looking for something like that, that makes us more, we have the opportunity to be more top of mind. Um, and so like, I think it gets to that longer game and also realizing like consideration from, for most of these channels we're talking about, um, or conversion is just not realistic. Like most, I, I just believe fundamentally, like most people aren't going to Twitter to, to leave Twitter. They're not going to Instagram to click out of Instagram. You got to find ways to engage with them on the platform. Um, and then when they so choose to search for you or, you know, go a little further and deeper, like you, you give them ways to do that, but that shouldn't be like the expectation. Yeah, definitely. And I love what you're both saying here because um, kind of tying a lot of what we've already talked about together um, with expectations of uh, uniting and bringing together the humans on, uh, of your brand with the humans of your audience um, and leveraging thought leaders and the experts in your space to do that, to, to be that, um, that differentiator that actually does fascinate or educate um, that or, or demonstrate something to that's new and exciting to your audience. And so that you're making this easy for me because that that's that's the root of amplified marketing, right? And so um, I'd love to take the time that we have left to talk specifically about that. Um, it's not like audio or video are new to IBM or Caterpillar or to most other companies at this point. Um, most companies today are doing some form of audio or video content, right? Um, but it's definitely changing. We're seeing it evolve. Um, we are seeing it, the opportunity for it to come more into the center of the strategy. But I'm interested in your thoughts in your respective industries of what, what that looks like for you. What does audio and video specifically look like in your roles? And how do you see it transforming your business or even your industry from here? So for us, I think audio and video, um, in like just amplified marketing is a way for us to do more by doing less. So by using Casted, for example, for a podcast in particular, we're able to pull so much different content from one conversation. So transcripts, audiograms, videograms, these are all different ways to get as many eyes on our content as possible, while also catering to the different content preferences that our different audience members have. So talking to subject matter experts within our podcast also gives us tidbits of information that we could possibly restructure into an article or perhaps another video. So these possibilities with amplified marketing really are endless. Plus it makes our jobs as content marketers marketers a lot easier. Yeah, I like that. I think um, with both audio and video, you know, we talked a minute ago about kind of this promotional engine. And so the role of both of those things is they can become kind of that anchor piece that we build a promotional strategy around. So something that we record in audio can become something that we create an audiogram for social. And so there's extension of that. And the work that we have to do that, that I think is very difficult is like, how do you build the right systems operating models to make sure that anything that's being created at the podcast level has that kind of promotional rigor behind it. So a lot of times we'll deal with 
we'll have a teams come to us and say, Hey, I made this awesome video. Can you just throw it up on YouTube for us? Like, well, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? How, how do we actually, so it becomes this sort of baton passing thing. Um, but you know, I guess a couple other things that for me with opportunities of audio and video, um, video, I think like we're seeing a lot of success on YouTube with IBM technology and essentially the approach there is explainer content and education. So like radical utility. So let's be less, you know, more show, don't less tell, more teach, less preach kind of thing. Um, and then with audio, it kind of gets into our ability to kind of deliver that point of view in more compelling ways. And we're, we have that in, you know, a very produced podcast with a partnership with iHeartRadio that Malcolm Gladwell hosts called Smart Talks. That's really great. Um, but then we also want to find ways to like enable that inside the organization because we have pockets of IBM with some of the smartest people on the planet. And so I, I believe our audiences would really benefit and enjoy uh, content from them and getting to hear their perspectives and tell their stories of the types of work that they're doing inside of research or inside of our AI businesses or whatever. So it's just about kind of finding the compelling stories. I, I think the other maybe pitfall from all of that is that we large organizations, maybe every organization, but I think there, there's a tendency to hear things like audio and video and be like, I will apply this to everything we can possibly do. Like, what's our podcast strategy for this? What's our video strategy for that? And it's like, it doesn't all have to be there. Like we have to spend time really thinking about what's the right thing for the audience and then invest in, in a way that like makes sure that that's consumed. And that gets us further and further away from all the volume stuff that we've already talked about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing that, that we get asked a lot is how, how do I find these experts? How do I find these voices that, that we can use in, in our audio and video content? Um, what, is, what does that look like for you? How does, how does that work? How do you find them? How do you find these stories? Like you said, Stephen? Yeah, for us, um, it's about kind of having people on the team that behave as sort of anthropologists inside of the company. Like you just have to go explore. It's hard. It's not easy. There's not like a magical list of like, who's that smart guy or gal inside of the business that's known for their ability to speak or is camera ready or whatever, right? And like, it's, it's just difficult. And so um, we do everything from having a very tight interlock with communications inside of the company to spending time inside of the business with product marketing um, in our developer, uh, developer business. It's like the developer advocates. So having conversations with them, searching on social for people that work for IBM and they already have a presence and they already are growing some eminence and then we can actually enable them to be even better at what they do. So it's just kind of the, the research side of being a great marketer and just looking for it and like looking, looking, looking. And then every once in a while, you're going to find something that's really, really special and you want to put a lot of energy into it. But you, Haley, how do you, how do you find your experts? So like Steven said, it is difficult to find, you know, somebody who's got a really great on-camera presence or that's camera ready, you know, uh, and we're definitely still figuring that out. But as of right now, so most of our podcast guests, webinar hosts, you know, our voices rather are Caterpillar employees who are our subject matter experts on a particular product or service. So who can provide as much knowledge to both our team and also to our audience as well. Um, but recently, some of our 
other voices are external people that have relationships with Caterpillar one way or the other who are able to share their own experiences and expertise from an outside perspective. So, for example, on our podcast, we've had a Top Gun instructor who has um, spoken at some of our Caterpillar dealer meetings before. You know, on one of our podcasts, he talked about his leadership styles. We've had a boat builder talk about the first repower with our latest marine engines. We've had tugboat operators talking about their lives as captains. You know, these are all personal stories that keep our audience invested that and they're also stories that aren't so focused on making a sale. You know, it's really about putting content out into the universe that is different from all the other marketing noise. That's really what we're trying to do with these podcasts. Um, and it's content that's even different from the types of content that we have traditionally pushed out at Caterpillar. So those are those are kind of the two different voices that we're really, really focusing on with our yeah. podcasts and webinars. A way to make the rest of us jealous, Haley, that you have tugboat operators and Top Gun instructors that you get to have on your podcast. Um, I think a lot of the other B2B marketers watching would also appreciate that. So, um, and I think one of the big takeaways here that I heard you both kind of mention is that it's not necessarily the, the CMO, the president of this, the leader of that. It's the voices um, and, and the people and the experts that are sometimes even rather unexpected. Um, yeah, somebody, yeah, they do need to be, if they're going to be on video, they need to be camera ready. If they're going to um, be on audio or video, they need to be able to speak eloquently, um, whatever that means for your brand but they don't necessarily have to be a C-level or a senior leader. Um, of course, that all is dependent on your internal processes, but they need to be, it's so important, and you both mentioned this in, in different ways throughout this conversation, but is knowing your audience and, and your audience is and what they're gonna find um, fascinating and what they're gonna find really of value and how can you provide, how can you be the conduit um, between the, the people that you know because of your brand, whether they're internal or external, your customers, your partners, your internal thought leaders, and what that audience actually wants to know and learn. So um, on that note, uh, we're here to talk about Amplified Marketing. Um, what what are your thoughts about, about that, about this thing that we're rolling out officially, official, official today? Um, how do you see it um, playing out in your industry and or what, what excites you about it? What excites you about this Amplified Marketing methodology that we're, we're looking at today? So I think Amplified Marketing is really going to change the game. So firstly, audio and video make things, I think, a lot more personal, even in a time where face-to-face -face is very limited. I think we can still have genuine interactions with people over podcasts, webinars, you name it. Um, secondly, um, I think the return on investment is really fantastic. So in the grand scheme of things, you know, it takes very little money to produce produce an entire year's worth of podcasts and webinars. And then with Amplified Marketing, we're able to continue to reuse and repurpose this content in so many different ways um, while also, you know, cultivating brand recognition, generating leads. Um, you know, I think it's arguably more effective um, than maybe, you know, paying for magazine spots or social ads, things like that. Um, but I am really excited for Amplified Marketing because I think it's going to provide a new flexible way for our audience to continue to learn and interact with us in very different ways. So I think it's going to let us be able to reach a much wider audience. 
Um, you know, I think we are also able to prioritize our audience by pushing out all these different types of content that they actually want to see, not just, you know, what we want them to see in order to make a sale. So I think Amplified Marketing, I'm super excited for it. I'm excited that it's going to make our lives as content marketers a lot easier. Um, but I, I think it's, it's going to be something great that we're going to use for, for our, a long time. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's just a smart framework, right? Like, um, you know, we've talked so much about, I think maybe attention that we all feel is like, how many new things are we going to make versus having a strategy that really does amplify that content and ensure that it's not just that it's seen and that it potentially gets someone to do something with it that first time, but that, you know, if we're talking about building the brand and consideration, like those are things that take a while and you need to sort of build some frequency. So for me, it's like focus and frequency are a huge advantage of a model like this where, you have to be a little bit more intentional about what you're going to build. You have to build, you create the right thing, and then you have to promote it in the right ways um, in favor of ensuring that Steven or Lindsay or Haley all see it enough. Like if you only see it once, like chances are, it's not going to move the needle on the brand for us. Like it needs to be from a social perspective, like the data we get is like six to nine times. So it's like, if you're really going to make sure that that message is seen and, and remembered, like you've got to drive frequency. So I feel like the amplified um, marketing framework enables us to do that more easily. I love it. Okay. Any, any uh, words of wisdom or words of advice before we switch over to, to questions? And this is for everybody watching. If you have any questions, just go ahead and put them in the Q&A. Uh, we'll get to as many as we can. Anything you want to add? Yeah, like thoughts on how to, to make this transition from that crazy ball of yarn that we, we call a uh, content marketing strategy to kind of this new approach where you're putting what we've talked about thought leaders at the center and, and amplifying it across channels. I just, so for me, one of the, the observations or learnings I've had in the last six months is we're going through this very, very massive marketing transformation. Um, that's much bigger than my, even my organization, um, is that I could be doing a much better job enabling people outside of my particular area my discipline, right? So I spend a ton of time doing enablement and education for social practitioners, um, blog, podcast team, like all of that. So everybody's getting better at what they do, but are we making sure that the organization understands what we do, why we do it, what good looks like, what good isn't? And so we're going to go under on a huge roadshow in the next year, both virtually and physically to like help educate and like spend time enabling the organization versus getting frustrated when people don't understand our perspective, right? And so that gets into really helping people understand kind of the principles that we live by in my organization and then using data all the time. Like I am, you know, I'm a strat creative strategist by trade. That's my background. But like I am one of the more data led people. It's like, well, let me talk to you about some, let me show you some data that illustrates why it is that we want to make this kind of change. Mm -hmm. um, and that just helps kind of break down some barriers and, um, open you up for conversation versus feeling there's like, you know, the, the pushback and tension that happens when we're just want to say, no, that's a bad idea or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's um, enablement and then, and then data. Yeah, honestly, I don't think I could say it any better than Steven. You know, we're we're definitely still figuring out our strategy. You know, it's going to be hard to make these changes. It's going to be difficult for us to, um, you know, I guess it, it's hard for us to, especially just in oil and gas and marine where Caterpillar has all these other different divisions, it's going to take a while for 
I think people to understand why we're doing this, but I think once we have the data there and once we showed that, you know, amplified marketing really does work, I think this is going to spread throughout Caterpillar. And I think it's going to be something really great. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay. So thank you both for your insights. Let's, let's answer some questions. How do we effectively make the case to leadership that our content marketing creation structures need to support first a quality output with a secondary of quantity. I think this is something, this is something that has plagued us as marketers for a very long time. I'm interested in your thoughts. Uh, I, I'll give you two answers. Um, one is data. Like, you sh I mean, we all have that. There's more data than ever, right? So I know exactly how many averages, average engagements per post, average link clicks per post we deliver through a piece of organic content that I would define as good. I also know whenever it's a thing that we don't know doesn't work that well, like if it's events related content, the way that we do that. So I think data can be very, very powerful to like making your case. And the other thing that I've been doing as of late, because I've had to go go in and um, convince leadership why we're going to do some uh, new things next year. Um, and one of the questions that I've been asking people as a pre-read to the meeting is, um, is think about for leadership, you can think about this for yourself, but like for leadership, answer these two questions. What's a social brand that you'd love to follow and why? Like, would you actually actively search for that brand inside of the search bar on that platform and go see what they're up to? Like, who are who do you love to follow? And then what are what's content that you love to experience? And I went through that, I went through those exercises personally as we were thinking through this reinvention of, of IBM's um, you know, go to go to feed strategy. And so I have answers to that. And when you start to have that type of conversation with them, um, supported by data for sure, but like you realize that the things that we're making we're, that don't, they don't fit those answers. And so it's like, I want to make things that fit those answers. Like I want to emulate the brands that I love to follow and the content that I love to experience, because I think that's, what's going to move the needle for us. Um, not these, not the volume plays and just doing things because we can, right? Yeah. And that comes, I mean, it, it always, it, I mean, there's always a way to bring it back to being a human, right? Like the beautiful thing that we have here is that we all are consumers of our own stuff, the stuff that we're buying all the time. And then we also buy things or have influence over, or at least a wish list of things that we buy on behalf of our, of our brands. And so you're mm -hmm. absolutely right, Stephen, is, is what do you, what do you want to hear about? And that might not be the same exact content, you know, Haley, we're not all buying um, from Caterpillar as, as individuals, but, mm -hmm. um, but we have opinions on what, what, resonates with us and what would fascinate us and what we would find engaging. So yeah, I think that we, we overlook that a lot. We underestimate the power of just our own opinion, the data that we have from our own experiences um, that we've lived. So where do you gather your data to show, this is the lead off of that, to show the rising trend of using audio and video content in your marketing strategies? We actually did a study with our subject matter experts, our Caterpillar dealers, and our customers to kind of determine what types of content they wanted to see. Like what, like literally what, what do our customers want to see? And what we got overall was, you know, they want this content that is relevant to them, that shows people, that shows interaction between people, that shows, you know, um, 
are subject matter experts talking about things that they are interested in. And I think that alone, the best way that we're able to do that is through audio and video content. So, I mean, I, and I could talk about like, there is, you know, you know, between articles that we've read or, you know, just, just uh, number or numerical data just based off of how well audio and video content has done um, on our social media, for example. That's that's also data as well. But I think this kind of customer study that we did um, where they said, hey, we want, you know, to see people. I think the best way to do that is through audio and video. Um, just to add to that, I think there's, you know, a couple different sources for data or just I don't know, data and best practices or strategic choices. And so one might be the partners that we have. So like it could be agency partners. It could be a partner like Casted kind of bringing data to us. Um, it could be the platforms themselves um, and the data we can pull out of those platforms, or it could be our own sort of homegrown internal tools that we build. We do a lot of sort of data integrations between you know, the social management systems we use, the data that we can pull out of YouTube. And we have like this massive, uh, data tech stack that our analytics leader has built out. So all of those things are kind of inter interlinking together into what we call the social scorecard. Um, I think audio and video are a little, are a little interesting because, you know, that's kind of a new part of my organization. And so figuring out the right ways to build the data visualizations and understand kind of what impact that content is making is, is something we're going to embark on this year. But, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the term I use is like a fitness term, but it's like time under tension. So if I think about like time under tension and fitness, it's like how much time under tension do I have with weights on my back or whatever, right? And so if I think about people engaging in a podcast or in a video, it's like, what's the time under tension? Like, I don't care so much about a three second video view. You know, I want to know how did they watch 75% of the video? Did they watch, did they listen to 50% of a 30 minute podcast? That's pretty awesome. Like it doesn't have to be. So it's just like kind of thinking about, is this like, holding the attention of our audience in a way that we think is 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 a number worth worth you know worth talking about and then we also spend a lot of time gathering sort of qualitative data like um looking into discussing what we're learning from the data that comes out of the platforms you know talking with our social strategists and the people managing the podcasts so that we can like kind of add that the context around it so why did this do better why did this do worse what about it like can we learn how do we try something different next time so there's a lot of Kind of testing and learning and iteration that happens because of those sort of we have retrospective meetings to discuss all that so um uh, it's a long-winded answer long-winded answer but uh, we spend a lot of time trying to trying to look at it and understand it um you know i think our new intelligence leader um in my organization is spending a lot of time thinking about like how do we remove the metrics that are kind of like uh they're just showing us that we completed something you know like the number of posts we did, the amount of content we produced, the whatever, and like spend more time kind of talking about how to make the work better next time versus being mm -hmm. excited that we finished something, you know? It, I mean, and one thing that you're actually kind of describing is creativity, right? Like thinking about ways to get more creative. It's not about doing the mm -hmm. things, it's not about checking a box. It's trying new things. It's testing new ideas. Um, just super important. And also I'm not going to think about time and attention the same way. And ever again, say that yeah. every, every morning in my workout class, I say that I'm going to be thinking now about time and attention and reaching. Well, there you go. So thanks for that. Um, I love that. Um, cool. 
Cool. So let's see. Um, you mentioned, Stephen, about uh, pointing to the different accounts that you you like and, and, and having that be an answer to people who kind of push back on quality over quantity. Are there any companies that you look to for inspiration that you look at and say, this is a company that really has their content strategy and distribution down packed. Um, let's let's emulate it. And who who do you point to in those situations? So, man, so I have a bunch of examples, but I'll one of my social brands I love to follow is Nike, which is kind of a cliche answer. I think that's sort of expected, but my reasons have two reasons. One reason is I feel like they are, they spend all of their time and energy from my perspective, trying to convince me that they love running as much as I love running or that they love training as much as I love training. They're not really peddling shoes to me. Like the shoe ends up on the athlete's foot. And I think that's, I'm like, oh, that's the new shoe. I got to go buy that shoe. But they're not like telling me about it right? Like they spend much, they do that with paid. And so I love that they're like trying to build a connection by telling really interesting stories and, and connecting to a passion versus like a product. Um, the other thing that I think they do surprisingly well with through most of their flagship accounts is they're really disciplined editorially. So they tweet like five times a month. And it's like, you know, our joke is like, do we really have more to say as IBM on social media than Nike? Like we, we tweeted 5,000 times last week, you know? Um, so like the, they're definitely one that I really love to follow. Um, another is just, um, I love following Wondery. It's a, you know, podcast company. I've, I've been sort of fascinated with their ability to kind of create shows across a variety of genres. So they could have a mystery podcast or they could have a business podcast. And I am in love with, um, business wars by Wondery. I think they do an amazing job from a production standpoint highly entertaining you learn a ton about business and the stories of those companies and so i just and then like i just i just think they do from a promotional engine perspective it's like i just think they're they're, they're really tight there so but yeah i mean i had to come up with a bunch of answers to that question so i've got we don't have enough time how about you Haley? so um i'll i can probably keep mine short because this is the one that it's actually a competitor of ours um that does a really good job and that is john deere so i think that they do a fantastic job with brand building they're not pushing out so much content all the time i think they're very selective with what they choose to put out and i think their community building you know brand building brand recognition is really strong so you know i i, I don't know what that says but i think you know we we want to emulate that competitor of ours um, they do a really great job um, and we'd like to you know follow in their footsteps <laughs> Well, you know, for as long as Caterpillar has been around, John Deere has been doing content marketing longer. I remember mm -hmm. in like marketing class 101 a million years ago, um, starting to talk about content marketing first time ever, uh, all the textbooks still reference John Deere and that newsletter that they printed and sent out. I don't even know how many hundreds of years ago it was at this point, but so you have a little bit of time, you know, you've only yeah. been around for 125 We're years. <laughs> yeah, you can take like 200. It's okay. Right. All right. <laughs> okay. So, um, how do you think about nurturing your existing audience of podcast listeners, video viewers, your audience, uh, and trying to grow that audience or expand your reach? Um, do you prioritize one over the other or try to balance them both equally? So 
again, this is something that we are really still trying to figure out. So we started podcasts and webinars a year ago, and it's been um, it, and it, it kind of like what I mentioned um, a while back. It's hard for us to get our word out um, to our customers. You know, there's, you know, if we promote a specific engine on, you know, our podcast or our webinar, there's only going to be a small amount of people that are interested in that just because there's so many different segments um, you know, so many, so many different people that are interested in so many different things. So I, I actually don't really have that great of an answer for you on that. I think that's still something that we are very much still trying to figure out. Yeah. So similarly, I mean, I think for podcasts for us right now, like we're going through a massive audit to just try and understand why they were all stood up. Like, what are they there for? Why did they do them? Um, and a lot of the podcasts that IBM has started, like we have more than we need is basically the, like the, the short answer. Um, and you know, so we've got to figure out that and figure out how do we use that as a way to build and nurture that relationship with that audience, um, through our content for YouTube. Um, IBM technology is a good example of like, I think they're building a really strong community of based on people that are looking to learn things about technology. Like every, they, they used to have a lot, a lot of variety in the types of content they were posting. It might be a product demo. It might be something that's from the, the marketing team. It might be something communications made. It might be an explainer. It might, and it was just like, no, like the audiences don't want that. So like, let's completely flip that on its head and let's only be focused on what we know the audience wants and, and, and their search behaviors. And so everything that they put onto that site now is, is related to something of that nature. And so it's been really cool because that account used to be IBM cloud. So it's all about cloud topics. And in the new model, we've said, well, let's just rename that IBM technology and let's adopt that model for all of our business units that are software and like systems related. And so you'll see this transition over time where everything becomes about that utility, about that education. I think that gives you a reason that that audience or reason to continue and come back hit the subscribe button, hit the notification button. And like, then you're getting back in, into their, you know, into their mindset, you know, more, more regularly. Um, and I hope that we do the same thing with podcasts. I mean, that we really understand like for this particular audience, this is the type of thing they want. So let's build our programming around that um, versus it just being like, we want to talk to this executive today and he's going to share his point of view and it might be a good conversation. It might not, but we're not really sure yet. Super important. Okay. One more question, basically to gate or not to gate. Where, where are we at now? Do you believe the B2B content marketing teams should continue to prioritize? And I think the key word there is prioritize lead generation by using gated content that requires the audience to share contact info, info before reading, or do you consider this as an outdated content experience? And I'm, I'm guessing it won't be a red light, green light on off, um, but a little bit of a, of a mix, but I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So this is a tough one because this is how we get a lot of our leads. Uh, would I consider it outdated? Probably. Um, but with right now, with the nature of everything, everything being, I guess, digital, I mean, this is kind of the one way that we are able to get leads. Um, you know, we do this with our webinars, but we don't do it, for example, with our podcasts. Uh, we do it for some pages on, you know, cat.com, but we don't do it for others. 
That is, that's a difficult one because, you know, our upper management really wants to, that is something that they prioritize so much is how many leads can we get? How many emails can we send out to these leads? You know, how many sales can we get from these leads? We are so lead focused. And yes, I think it, you know, to a certain extent, it is outdated, but I think it's going to require a lot of data and a lot of or yeah, I mean, really a lot of data to back up maybe why we shouldn't be doing so much of this, like capturing leads through all of the different content that we push out. So that that's a tough one. That's something that, you know, we'll have to figure out within the next coming years, what, what makes the most sense or, you know, how can we get leads other way, other ways, or how can we make sales other ways? It's, it's definitely something that we're very much figuring out, um, and that we'll probably have to have a lot of discussions on too. Yeah, I think my answer is it depends. Um, you know, I think um, we're going through an exercise right now on the on the performance marketing side of things. So I'm more on the market relevance brand side, but performance marketing is is doing a massive overhaul of their approach to gating um, in, in this quarter. And I think part of the issue is that like we overgate, like it's like can we gate this? Sure. Gate it. You know, and it becomes this like really bad at poor experience for the audiences that are getting there. Right. Like, and so I think it just, it depends. Like um, one dependency would be like, how strong is your brand? Like, like if, if your brand is having a relevance issue, then like, I want the person to get access to the content as easily as possible so they consume it. I don't want to drive them into something that asks them for 10, 15 lines of, of data and then, you know, so that they can have access to a white paper. I'd rather them read the white paper and think IBM is smart and therefore we built the brand. And so I just, we just have to be more intentional about the use of it. And then there are going to be things that absolutely you should gate that, you know, maybe the value is super, super high, or it's a really compelling piece of content or piece of research. And then it's, it's worth the ask. But the other thing I think is too, is like, how hard is it to get through the gate? Like, how much are you asking for? Like, are we asking them for like, their phone number and email? Or are we asking them for the names of their kids and like what flavor ice cream they like most? I mean, like we ask so many questions in that experience sometimes that it's just like, I just think it's rude. So it's just like figuring it out and like finding the right places to apply that, that, you know, very important tactic in a way that, you know, benefits us, but also benefits the customer. Okay, so the big takeaway here is ask for favorite ice cream flavor or names of the children. I mean, if you know One their favorite the ice cream, yeah, if you know their favorite ice cream flavor, then all of a sudden you can personalize content. <laughs> ice cream. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, that kind of comes back to knowing your audience, comes back to knowing um, what the value is of each piece that you're putting out there. And it comes back to how you're going to use the information about their favorite ice cream flavor. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mine is Ben and Jerry's non-dairy PB and cookies. Uh, Cherry food. Garcia. Cherry Garcia. Mm-hmm. So good. So, so good. Okay. So now that we know that, um, thank you both. Thank you so much um, for sharing your insights. Uh, we've talked a lot longer, but we've already been chatting for an hour. So we'll let you go get some water and, uh, and get about your day. Thanks for being part of today. Um, we appreciate you both. Steven, Thanks so much. Really, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's our show. 
Thanks so much for being a part of it. And to learn more about the new content marketing strategies that Stephen and Haley are working on, be sure to visit ibm.com and to check out any of the shows in their extensive library and also take a gander at caterpillar.com and check out their shows Beyond the Iron, the Caterpillar podcast and more. To learn about how Casted can help you, visit casted.us and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and to watch more shows like this um, and be the first to get all things Amplified Marketing, B2B Podcasting and more. Thanks for being a part of our show.